All right, we got a lot of changes going on, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys so much for joining me for an all-new episode uh, for what is now moving forward known as Heroes Retreat with Noel Cruz. I am your host, Noel Cruz, guys. Thank you, as always, for joining me. Um, I did some reflecting as of my last episode, which is a review of the Marvel Cinematic Film uh, Black Widow with Scarlett Johansson. As I was kind of going through my files and going through my archives before I was I published that episode, or better said, after I published it, I realized by looking at the timestamp and the date that this podcast has now been airing for over a year, which made me incredibly happy. Uh, and it's just indicative of how time flies, man. I, I'm proud, I'm, I'm kind of humbled, and it just goes to show my passion for talking about this stuff. Um, you know, to my friends and family who planted the seed in my brain about doing this, it's been very therapeutic, it's been fun, and it's been fantastic. You know, looking over a year, I kind of had something in my mind for, for quite some time with the words or the title, Heroes Retreat. At this moment, I don't want to elaborate on anything. I, I don't kind of want to get into the details of how that title came to be. But it's definitely for a project that I hope to one day bring to fruition. Um, you know, maybe I'll discuss it down the road, but fingers crossed, I'm determined and I'm excited. And, you know, hopefully with, you know, some hard work and, and some determination, it may happen. And if it doesn't, then at least I've crowned... Uh, this podcast with the title of Heroes Retreat. So I'm very, very happy. You know, I was pleased with the title, the previous title of the show known as uh, So Have You Seen? But given the the content and it's been consistently about movie reviews and primarily fantasy stuff and superhero related, uh, I thought Heroes Retreat was an appropriate title. So I hope you guys enjoy it uh, as much as I do. I hope you're as happy with the title as I am. I'm sure the change is not going to impact anybody that deeply and if it does feel free to contact me we can talk about it but that being said i'm excited um particularly for this episode because i love sharing with you guys anything that has to do with kind of nostalgia you know making me go back and to think and it's usually in doing that it's like an exercise because it makes my brain go back and think and things dawn upon me and i remember things so clearly and so vividly you know to the touch to the taste to the smell and I, you know, that's that's priceless. Stuff like that is priceless. So on this episode, it's going to be really special to me because this this little trip down memory lane is full of nothing but positive memories based on this character. So just to kind of give you guys an idea, this was one of my favorite intros one of my favorite things ever as a kid for a very very long time and i'd like to share it with you now and i hope that it brings back some memory some well some pleasant memories to you guys as well particularly after school at about 4 30 it went a little something like this Secrets of Castle Grayskull. This is Cringer, my fearless friend. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me the day I held aloft my magic sword and said, By the power of Grayskull!
that was some good shit, man. Honestly, that that never got old when I was a kid. And it was so exciting when I got home to see He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. One of my fondest memories of that TV show was mostly because of the action figures. So when I was a kid, this was about 1983, so I was about seven or eight. I remember that Christmas most of all. And I remember that Christmas for me as, as a boy went through phases, right? So at a very early age, it was superhero-related stuff. Like we had those 12-inch superhero dolls as like Superman and Batman that had like the cloth clothing and the plastic capes and the plastic gloves and things like that. So I had a bunch of those as a kid. My brothers did as well. Um, then after that, uh, after the superhero stuff, immediately thereafter, that's when He-Man came into play. But He-Man for me was very distinct because around that same time, my brothers and my, uh, one of my dearest, dearest family members who I love to death. And I think this is the first time probably mentioning him in one of my podcasts, but my uncle Peter, my uncle, my uncle Peter Valentine, he was a big kind of sci-fi guy too. Uncle Peter used to love Star Trek, man. He was a Trekkie, but he was also into anything that was like sci-fi related comic books and things like that. And if I'm not mistaken, I'll touch on this with my brother, Tony in the future. I think he was the one who got my brother, Victor and Tony into all this stuff. But I remember in 83, there was a movie that kind of was, you know, the hot sci-fi flick and it wasn't so much a sci-fi as it was an action adventure film and it was a movie called conan the barbarian with none other than arnold schwarzenegger now this is when arnold was in his prime i mean this goes so far back in schwarzenegger's career that arnold didn't have too many lines because his accent was so thick that austrian accent was so thick that they just kind of gave him as minimal lines as possible. And if you see the movie now, and if you've seen it before, you'll see what I mean. He doesn't really say much. The majority of the action sequences are done to the to the score uh, by this Greek gentleman. His name escapes me. But Conan the Barbarian is one of the greatest sci-fi music scores of all time. M trust me, if you ever find yourself in the gym or going on a run or on a bike ride or whatever the case, and you think you're about to die... Play the main title theme to Conan the Barbarian, and if that shit doesn't motivate you, I don't know what will. It was a fantastic score. So this film, in essence, was about a barbarian named Conan who, as a little boy, saw his village get slaughtered, and his mother is killed, and his father is killed, and he grows up in enslavement, and then he's freed because he's used as a fighter, and he, you know, he finds his freedom, and he just becomes a barbarian to go after the people who murdered his family. Lots of sword play, lots of kind of that Lords of the Ring, you know, battles in the woods and shit like that. A little bit of mysticism to it and a little bit of magic. Very cool. One definitely and arguably one of Schwarzenegger's finest hours. So around that time, there wasn't really much other than those superhero dolls in kind of the world of toys for little boys. It was... You know, those superhero dolls in G.I. Joe at the time, G.I. Joe was also like a 12-inch figure. They didn't get into the smaller figures yet. Um, so it was these big 12-inch figures. And 
it was just pretty much the same thing. Now, the toy company Mattel had just signed a license for Conan the Barbarian, and they released the doll based on that as well in the big 12-inch figures. But at the same time, they were kind they were in the process of kind of changing the whole action figure brand for boys. And lo and behold, the next property that they would release was He-Man. And they wanted to do something entirely different. They 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 noticed that, you know, the majority of, of boy action figures, you know, the, the figures were very stiff. They had little to no articulation. So they almost looked like, as I like to refer to it, like a box of spaghetti, right? The guys, you know, you could just move their arms up and down and the legs forward and back. You had no articulation at the wrist, at the knees, at the elbows, nothing at the neck. And that was it. He-Man was very different. Um, He-Man had minimal articulation, but the figure was incredibly defined. And a lot of that influence came from the Conan the Barbarian film because of how Arnold Schwarzenegger looked. Arnold Schwarzenegger, as many of you know, was a multiple-time Olympic uh, bodybuilding champion. Mr. Olympia, Mr. Universe, he held every major title. And proportionately, it has been said that he was the most proportionate male human being on earth or some crazy shit like that, that he was just simply, in other words, he was perfect physically. Mattel took that kind of aesthetic from Conan. And they also took from the comic book. Conan was being drawn by, uh, I think the name is Frazetta and and an Italian artist named Frazetta. I forget his name, but if you kind of look at the packaging for He-Man toys, it had kind of that same art from Conan the Barbarian. So as a kid, you looked at He-Man and Skeletor and Merman and all these characters, and at least I did. I immediately kind of associated that it was a very similar world to Conan, that it was, it, you know, it kind of looked barbaric. It kind of gave that feel. I mean, He-Man had an axe and a sword and a shield. Skeletor had a sword and a staff, and then you had people using magic in the background. Characters like Men at Arms and Trapjaw and Triclops and Beastmen and Merman and all this shit. So as a kid, you're overstimulated the potential to play with all of these toys and, you know, the stories you could make in your mind and Castle Grayskull. They built a playset for Castle Grayskull. I mean, all of it was, you know, in a way overstimulating. Now, they hadn't had or excuse me, that's just very poor English. They had not yet reached a point in marketing on how He-Man was going to be distributed other than toys. So there was no cartoon set. The only thing they did have was the this little comic book that came with each action figure. And they were kind of based on, you know, a story was based on whatever figure you bought. So if you bought say Man-at-Arms, it had a story centered on Man-at-Arms. If you bought He-Man, it had a story centered on He-Man, Tila, Skeletor, and so on. So it wasn't until after Mattel had created this toy line that marketing then said, okay, well, we need a show or we need something to go with this that's going to draw bigger numbers and people are going to buy more of our product. Now, I remember when the show aired and I loved it, but what I was kind of disappointed in that they played it very, very, very safe. So despite the fact that these characters were about swords and shields and magic and and all this other stuff, it was very, very safe, particularly with one character that they put 
that was super kid friendly. His name was Orko. He's a little wizard. Uh, he was very silly, very, you know, kind of comic book. Definitely like I was eight at the time. I think they were kind of aiming Orko for kids who were like four or three. It was a very sophisticated eight year old. Couldn't put anything over on me. But anyway. So in doing that, I kind of felt a degree of disappointment because I'm like, damn, but I thought this was going to be like Conan. You know, I thought there was going to be lots of swordplay. And as much as I love the cartoon, and I still do to this day, you know, I look at it and it becomes very much a formula. Like, super, uh, not Superman, excuse me. He-Man never really beat Skeletor. Skeletor always got away and it always ended with, I'll get you next time, He-Man. Or You know, it, it was always the same thing. And I know you will, Skeletor, and I'll be here to stop you. And it was just the same shit over and over again, right? So that's when I've kind of, as much as I enjoyed the TV show, I... I had more fulfillment and enjoyment out of taking the figures and making my own adventures. So that definitely helped create, you know, creativity. It helped your imagination. You know, you build storylines. You, amongst the figures that we played with, you know, me and my cousins, Ariel and my cousin Felix, my cousin Melvin, when we were kids, this was like our shit. And we would sit down and we would say, okay, well, what should we do? Well, you take these guys and you figure out your plan and you take these characters. You figure out this plan. I'll be Skeletor this time. You know, Ariel, you could be He-Man. And it did a lot. You know, that's why as, you know, even though I'm not a parent, the things you give your children, look at them and kind of have interest because they do to some degree mold your child. You know, it brings out leadership skills. It brings out cooperative skills it brings out team building skills you know and one thing i can say about those action figures with he-man and gi joe in particular they definitely brought kids together i just i don't know if i'm not looking but i just don't really see that anymore i think we live too much in a day and age where kids are dependent are being isolated and looking into you know a tablet or something along those lines. And that's not necessarily bad because I've seen kids, particularly my goddaughter, Satya, she grabs a tablet, man, and she could draw you some Japanimation that will knock you on your ass. I think right now her thing is, oh God, I don't want to get this wrong because she'll she'll probably beat me. <laughs> She'd be like, what are you doing? Don't get it wrong. Uh, oh my God. Not, is it Demon Slayer? God, I hope it's Demon Slayer. I think that's what she's into. And she loves the show and she draws on, you know, on her on her tablet. And the work is amazing, not because she's my goddaughter, but the child is talented beyond reason. So it's great when these shows and, and these TV series, you know, as a kid, they they have an impact. I mean, I'm talking about something that happened to me 38 years ago and I'm 45. And this is what He-Man did for me. So that was an experience that made me have a great affection for the character as years pass you know you have all the toys also very quickly i have to you know kind of tell this story because it's one of my favorite experiences of my life my life 100 percent. so one day i was walking with my mom Right. We were walking up Broadway. I, I don't think I've ever revealed this. And if I haven't, then I guess now is a better time than any. I was born and raised and still reside in Washington Heights, uptown, baby. Gotta love the Heights. Right. I was born and raised here. And one day while walking to 
a very popular area in our neighborhood, 181st Street. 181st Street primarily was like a shopping, I don't want to call it a shopping strip, but it was just a little district in Washington Heights that kind of back then had everything you needed. It had supermarkets, shops. It had one of the first McDonald's in the area, had a movie theater that is now gone, and it's heartbreaking. It was a, The theater was, I believe, Coliseum Cinema. It was there for years, and they just tore it down. That was, you know, that was a heavy hit for the neighborhood. But 181st Street back then was where your parents went to either pay bills or get a money order or buy something that they needed, like fabric or shower curtains or things like that, right? So one day I was walking with her to 181st Street, and we're walking north on Broadway, and we're passing this. Also, there's another iconic theater, and if they te- if they try to tear this one down, it's going to be a problem, because <laughs> I think it is now the oldest, one of the oldest in New York City. It's called uh, United Palace, and it's on 175th and Broadway. We're walking north on Broadway and we're walking underneath the canopy of United Palace. And my mom is holding my hand. And my mom used to tell me, you know, look down when you walk. Because I had a 10, I was very clumsy as a kid. I used to trip for anything. And she used to tell me when we used to walk, you know, careful where you walk. So look down. So as I'm walking, I look down and my mom was talking about something. Oh, I got to get this and that and whatever the case. I got to pay this bill at Con Edison and so on and so forth. And as I look down. I see a $50 bill. So I kind of stop my mother. Like I pull back. I bend down and I pick it up and I go, mommy, look. And I show it to her. Now $50 back in 83 was quite a bit of money for a kid. And she goes, where did you get that? I'm like, from right there. And I point to the floor. She goes, put that in your pocket. Put that in your pocket. So I put it in my pocket. And there was really nobody around us at the time. Like, you know, that. If, if you know where I'm talking about, if you're from Washington Heights, you know that right underneath that theater, it's a very big open space. So there wasn't like anybody immediately around that. If there were two people in front of me, potentially could have been one of their, you know, one of them who had dropped it. There was nobody around. So my mother was like, put it in your pocket. She's like, you found it. It's yours. And I was like, I remember my heart was beating fast. I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. What am I going to do with this money? And my mom was like, don't waste it. She's like, either save it or get something you really want. Now, at 181st Street, right at about 179th and Broadway, there was a little toy store. I don't remember the name, but I do remember that a Korean husband and wife owned it. And this little toy store, which was probably not even 800 square feet. I'm talking about... Inventory was stacked upon inventory like Barbie was on top of G.I. Joe on top of Cabbage Patch Kid. It was like a closet. But these this Korean husband and wife, they had everything like they were legit. They would give Toys R Us a run for their money with the space they had. So I said, Mommy, I want to go to the toy store. She said, OK, let's go to the toy store. Went to the toy store. Immediately, I knew what I was going to buy. I walked in and this was one of the first moments in my life that I felt liberated because my mother said tell the man what you want i remember she put her fingers on my back and she pushed me forward she's like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna help you tell him what you want so the chinese lady actually inter uh the korean lady i believe she was chinese or korean she kind of looked at me and she smiled and she's like hello and i was like hi she's like what do you want and i'm looking for it with my eyes and i couldn't see it and i'm like i want castle grayskull <laughs> 
And she looked at me and she said, Castle Grayskull. I was like, yeah. She turned and she looked to her husband and she spoke in her native language. And I, you know, I heard her speaking and then she went, Castle Grayskull? And her husband went, uh-huh. And he knew exactly what I was asking for. He grabbed the ladder. He went to the top shelf and he pulled out this humongous box. I remember my mother clearly went, oh, my God, because the box was really big. And my mother looked at me and the first words out of my mother's mouth was, I'm not carrying that. And it was like, it's okay, mommy, I'll carry it. And it was big. I mean, I was eight and this box was about almost my size. But I said, the hell with that shit. I own Castle Grayskull. I'm paying me with it for with my money. I'm good to go. Castle Grayskull back then was what? $25, which left me with $25 more. I was so happy and so elated. True story. That when the lady gave me the change and I just I was looking at the box like I had just found, you know, the remains of the Ten Commandments, like I what I had in my hands was priceless. The woman gave me back the change and she goes, something else? And I went, no. And I took the change and I looked at my mother and went, here, mommy, you could buy whatever you want. And I gave her the rest because I had what I wanted. And I remember the, the woman behind the counter went, oh, so sweet. And my mother kissed me. She's like, really? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you don't want another He-Man? I went, nope. This is it. And I will never. I, I remember opening the box. I remember what the box smelled like. I remember the pieces. I remember my brother Tony's face when I walked through the door with it. He was like, what? My older brother Victor was like, right away, you buy him anything he wants all the time. What is this? <laughs> I want a pair of sneakers and I can't get that shit. But he gets Castle Grayskull. So my mother had to tell him, you know, your little brother found it. He not found it. He found the money to buy this stuff. So I was walking on cloud nine. And then I have the two brothers, my two older brothers who they're the best, man. They had little jobs, you know, like at McDonald's and at a sneak. One worked at McDonald's. Another worked in Burger King. And I think he worked at a sneaker store as well. And every payday, they would come and bring me a new toy. I didn't ask for anything. I didn't. You know, not that I didn't want anything, but they would just love to surprise me. That's why I'm telling you, I had the best childhood ever, ever. So now having Castle Skull and it, it, this thing was enormous and playing with these dolls. He-Man was a huge, huge part of my growing up. Eventually with time, you know, things change and you kind of outgrow the toys and things like that. But I always... Again, it was a special thing for me. You know, the articulation of the toys, the characters, the villains, the Castle Grayskull playset. You know, years pass, the nostalgia kicks in, you look back 10, 15 years later, whatever, you know, what have you. And it doesn't age the same. You could definitely still see the very, very kind of kiddie elements to it. But you still enjoy the effort. The cartoons are still beautiful. The cartoons, the animation from back then is still you know, kind of a standout because at the time it was unlike anything people had seen. The animation was rotoscope that they had done with the Max Fleischer cartoons for the old school Superman cartoons. That rotoscope is when they use actual people as models to move and then they kind of overlap the drawings and it makes the animation look very, very seamless, almost human-like. So it's beautiful, but... Eh. You know, you outgrow it, as would anything else. Then they made several attempts to bring the character back. 
a lot of them fell flat. One of them was like He-Man in space. Somehow they, if it isn't Star Wars, anything they like Fast and the Furious, I think they're going to do a movie in space. And whenever you send anything out into space at this point, just fucking stop. (laughs) You've, you've, you know, you've hit the point already. That's it. You know, just let, let put the, the franchise you know, in a vault and, you know, let it grow over time and let people want it back and then, you know, revisit it. But that was pretty much it for He-Man up until two years ago. Uh, And this is now where we finally get to (laughs) the main part of uh, the episode. Up about two or three years ago, Netflix announced that it would be doing a new Masters of the Universe TV show. And they announced that it was going to be helmed by Kevin Smith. For those of you guys who know Kevin Smith, he's like the godfathers, the godfather of nerd and sci-fi stuff. Like Kevin Smith is just no joke. And as time passed, he kind of revealed the cast, the voice cast of the TV show, the title, which is Masters of the Universe Revelations. And that it would be released in two parts. Uh, I think it was five or six episodes per part. The cast was already, you know, definitely a cast of heavy hitters. You had cast members from Game of Thrones playing Evelyn and Man at Arms. Uh, you had Mark Hamill, who is known theatrically as Luke Skywalker. And vocally, he is the voice of the Joker from Batman the Animated Series. Uh, Kevin Conroy, who is actually the voice of Batman from Batman the Animated Series, also has a small role. Uh, Alicia Silverstone is in it. Sarah Michelle Gellar, the girl who's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So you have quite a few well-known and notable actors and voice actors that are going to partake in this. So it's getting pretty exciting. Not only that, but Kevin Smith given that he's so invested into this material, you know, as a fan of He-Man, you start getting hyped. You start saying, oh, wait a minute. This this has the potential to be really good, right? Time for a drink. Slightly parched. I'm going to hit my trusty canteen. Now, what's in here? We don't know. You guys, I know you guys can hear the ice, but is it water? Is it whiskey? Who's to say? Just another one, excuse me. All right, thank you. That's always your your cue to to uh, to take a drink. But anyway, moving on. So, again, for for the fandom for the fan base of He Man, there was a lot of excitement uh, based on all of this news. Little by little, still shots start appearing. You see the animation. It, it had kind of like this Japanime modern feel to it, which is very cool, very funky. The show aired. Uh, what, about two or three weeks ago? About two weeks ago. I saw it in one sitting. Um, and I have to say, with the first half, I am... I don't know if incredibly... Please is the word I'm looking for, but I am just absolutely enamored with what Kevin Smith has done. Now, 
a lot of people have kind of panned this uh, retelling. In, in essence, what this show is, Masters of the Universe Revelation, it's like a pseudo-sequel or an expansion on the story of the cartoon from the 1980s. <clears throat> now, in the early 2000s, there was another Masters of the Universe animated series that kind of wanted to be a complete retelling. This isn't that. This is going and having a connection all the way back to the 80, 1985 cartoons. And it has done so in a really magnificent light. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where the 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 people who are dissatisfied were disappointed. Um, moving forward from this point, I am going to get into plot points and details and spoilers. So if you guys have not seen the show, stop here. We're at about the 30 minute mark of the part podcast. See the show and then, you know, come back and finish the episode. But going into spoilers in three, two, one. I had no issue with any of the episodes. I actually thought it was an absolute brilliant take on He-Man, particularly expanding on the history of the show that came before it. Now, the first episode starts out and it's very familiar territory. So it's not as though anything is, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it's not incredibly different it's not everything kind of picks up almost exactly where the old tv show left off and for the fact that it starts out with you know castle grayskull and he-man kind of trotting you know this vast open plain going towards castle grayskull and one of the beautiful things about the, the the initial episode is that the artwork throws back to not only the old TV show, but the box covers of the toys. Like this show is legit. This retelling is fantastic, man, for lack of better words. It doesn't have the original intro, but the artwork, the opening sequence artwork is already worth the price of admission. So... In the initial opening sequence, we see what appears to be He-Man bringing in two prisoners towards Castle Grayskull. Doesn't turn out to be the case. And of all people, it's one of my favorite characters that I thought was never properly utilized in the animation, Faker, which is He-Man's, with Skeletor's attempt to make a fake He-Man to get him access into Castle Grayskull. Now, Faker on the TV show looks like He-Man's identical twin, but the action figure, Faker is a He-Man doll, but spray-painted with Skeletor skin color, which I always found kind of strange, but at the same time, kind of cool. So, here we see, you know, Skeletor is always trying to do his thing, trying to get into Castle Grayskull. Uh, at the same time, there's a celebration because Tila is being anointed by the king and queen of Eternia, the new man-at-arms. So she is, for those of you who don't know, in the TV show, man-at-arms, I believe his name was Duncan, he was the adoptive father of Tila, and Tila was Prince Adam's best friend. Prince Adam, whose alter ego is He-Man, right? 
So here she's being anointed the new man at arms, which I thought was very cool. Meanwhile, back at Castle Grayskull, Faker and Skeletor are capturing the sorceress. The sorceress is pretty much the keeper and the protector of Castle Grayskull. So there is a like a beacon or something that lets them know that the castle is under attack. So Tila's ceremony of being knighted, the new man at arms, has to stop and they go to Castle Grayskull to stop Skeletor, who's trying to get the secrets of Castle Grayskull. In the old TV show, he always wanted the power sword because the power sword gave you access to the castle. But here, he just wants what's in the castle. And as the TV show progressed in these five episodes, you actually see that there's a lot more to Castle Grayskull than I ever knew as a kid growing up. And it's pretty cool. In this battle, the final revelation, now, and this is always I had trouble with. This was very much like the Superman, Lois Lane dynamic, right? A pair of glasses is what kept Clark's secret identity. Not the fact that the guy is built like a brick shithouse. Not the fact that you can't, you're, Lois Lane is supposed to be like a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. And a pair of glasses is going to throw her off. And Superman is, in essence, her co-worker. It's kind of insulting. It's one of the things, as much as I love Superman, the character, I always thought was BS. But anyway. So here, they do something, or at least Kevin Smith had the presence of mind to do something that I thought was very smart. In the old school cartoons, He-Man and Prince Adam physically, physically were identical. The only difference was that when He-Man was Prince Adam, he was paler and he just kind of seemed very neutral. He didn't like to get into fights or he always gave Tila the impression that, no, no, I can't get involved. I don't know. I'll only get in the way. I don't know how to fight, you know, what have you. Mind you, he's carrying an eight foot, you know, 75, 75 pound sword in his back that he points to the sky and turns him into you know, a tanned blonde with rippling muscles and a, and a cat that he rides on. Shit is crazy, right? But here in Masters of, of the Universe Revelation, there is a considerable physical difference. Prince Adam looks much more like a prince. He's younger in stature. He's considerably smaller. He looks kind of like a teenager. He looks, you know, like 15, 16-year-old kid. So that makes it a little bit more understanding as to why Tila would have no idea that Prince Adam becomes this huge muscular warrior named He-Man. It sells a lot better than the TV show ever did back then, but be that as it may. In that revelation, the king and queen come to find out that their son is He-Man. Tila finds out that he's He-Man. And during the battle in Castle Grayskull, something transpired that both He-Man and Skeletor were kind of disintegrated or they were taken out of existence. Tila feels a great sense of betrayal that this was kept from her. Like she wasn't worthy of knowing Prince Adam's secret or she was incapable of understanding. So she felt betrayed. And that to me was 
a strong selling point as to why she would abandon Eternia and kind of go on her own. This is where I think a lot of the grief and a lot of the disappointment comes from people who see the show. Because in the initial first episode, we don't see Skeletor or He-Man again until the last episode of the first half. And the story now centers on a lot of the supplemental characters. I thought that was a plus, And here's why. Because in the old 80s cartoons... You had nothing but He-Man and Skeletor facing off over and over again. And as I said in the intro of the podcast, with all due respect and as much as I love the the property and, and the cartoon as a kid, it was the same shit. There was never really a, a, a fight to a conclusion. Skeletor always got away. I'll get you next time, He-Man. And I'll be here to stop you, Skeletor. It just got repetitive. It got old. So the supplemental characters such as Tila and Man at Arms and Orko, they had kind of certain story points, but there weren't many. There was never, at least to my knowledge, there was never really an episode that focused solely on Tila or solely on Man at Arms or anything like that. He-Man was always the standout. It was his show. And I get it. But I thought Kevin Smith kind of taking out the main pieces off the chessboard for now and focusing on the pawn, the rook, the bishop, on the pieces that move, that keep things going, I thought that was a brilliant move. Man at Arms has never looked better, and he's voiced by a gentleman. I I don't have the voice cast immediately in front of me, but... I think he was he's voiced by the character that was Davos in Game of Thrones. So he sounds fantastic. Evil Lynn, who is Skeletor's witch and his partner, honestly, she steals the show. She's voiced by Lena Headley. Lena Headley is uh, Cersei from Game of Thrones. And she doesn't do really anything to change her voice or to kind of give Evil Lynn a different voice. You, you Immediately, you know it's her. To a point where you're like, hey, man, that's Cersei from Game of Thrones instantly. Right? But it still works. And honestly, and in my opinion, Evil Lynn stole the show. If you guys watch it, you'll see what I mean. Cringer... I always thought, I always wanted to get past Cringer. I always wanted He-Man to transform because I enjoyed Battle Cat much more. I just thought Cringer was annoying. Here, Cringer turns out to be one of the, the centerpieces of this first half. Cringer has heart. Cringer, you know, speaks with, with experience now, with knowledge. And that was very surprising. And very satisfying because he just wasn't a Freddy cat, which in essence is what he was made to be. Here, he's a, a bit, he has more depth and more character. He doesn't really do much as Battle Cat, which surprised me, but maybe that's being laid off for the second half. But as Cringer, I was incredibly pleased. Now, well, before I get to this part, Tila was also solid. You know, we've 
in the world of like sci-fi and superhero stuff, women have always been a second character. And and this is just fact. Lois Lane, damsel in distress, Catwoman, you know, up until the Silver Age of comic books, she was the villain, you know, Silver Age of comic books, they kind of put her in a, sh- uh, 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 she's a bit more a shade of gray. Then she becomes an anti-hero. Then she becomes an ally to Batman. Here, Tila in the OTV shows, Tila was strong. She wasn't really a damsel in distress. She was, and they went out of her way to make her He-Man's kind of like his equal. You know, there was no real romantic element between them. She was very much his equal and very capable. But again, it was his show. Here, Tila's a standout. 100% a standout. She does great. She's interesting. Her character has motivation. You know, you you feel, you empathize with her character. So Tila was done very well. She's given a new, like a sidekick. Since in essence, she takes over the first part of the series. Uh, the sidekick's name escapes me as well. But that character as well, it, it appears to be like a protege. It w- That was also... A very interesting dynamic. You know, again, they're coming at something that has been around for almost 40 years. And Kevin Smith, he really went through great lengths to give this story depth. So now Tila, with her sidekick or her her partner, progressed the show forward and in the future episodes, they kind of shift on characters that were never really focused on. Particularly the villains. Triclops has a very interesting turn and in somewhat a realistic to the sense of what people with bad intentions kind of do. You know, bad intentions and, and, and their own motivation they're going to do their own thing. And Triclops is a big part of that. And he uses science combined with religion to kind of start his own faction. And again, this shit is very interesting. I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. Trapjaw comes into play. We see Merman. Uh, I was My only disappointment with Merman was that they didn't show enough of him. Um, they utilize him well here, but he could have done a little bit more now Beastman looked awesome Beastman looks absolutely awesome they also kind of keep Beastman a, a, a bit neutral in the sense that they could also expand quite a bit on him and I'm hoping if this does go into syndication if it's just more than a two part movie in essence I hope that they focus on Beastman because I think Beastman has a lot of potential only because of the way he looks and what can be done with him. They need to stop using him as like a dumb henchman. He looks badass here. So another character that when I was a kid, I had his action figure, a character called Scareglow, which is a character that was a skeleton and he glowed in the dark. The use of that character was badass in this animated series. I absolutely loved what they did with Scarecrow, a uh, Scareglow. And again, this is attributed to the mind of Kevin Smith. When you love something, and I've 
always said this, and I, I'll, I'll turn blue in the face. When you love something, when you love the source material, you do right by that shit because you know what it deserves. And again, Scareglow back in the old TV series, I, I basically don't remember him, if at all. I remember him because I had the action figure, but I don't think I ever saw him in maybe more than an episode at a glance. So to see him now have a more, I guess, sinister role in this story is really cool. But to me, the best character change. Now, Skeletor is fantastic. Mark Hamill stayed true to the Skeletor of the old TV show, but he's less of a bumbling oaf and more of like what he should be, which is this evil, malicious, you know, kind of wizard who wants power. He's the old, you know, atypical storyline villain. And Mark Hamill does great. There's certain times that I thought his dialogue was a little too close to what he did with the Joker in Batman the Animated Series. But again, it's Mark Hamill. Bad Mark Hamill is like cold pizza. You're still going to enjoy it. And he, by any means, was bad in this. Just again, in my personal opinion, I thought there were certain lines that were a little too Joker and not Skeletor. There are certain fight sequences that kind of threw me back that I was like, oh, shit, like certain characters are dealt with. You know, there's a small degree of of I don't want to say violence because I don't think that's the right word, but there are consequences to certain things that happen. And we didn't get that in the show as a kid. You know, yeah, you saw what if you did something bad, there was consequence to that. But here it's like when you make a decision, you have to live with that. And certain characters go a lot further than they ever did in the old animation. But the standout for me was a character who annoyed me in the old TV show. Here was possibly one of the best parts. And that is much to my surprise, Orko, the little wizard. In the old TV show, Orko was either in the way or he was like comedy relief. And he, at first, it starts out this way, very similar here. But as the show progresses, there is an unlikely alliance between Orko, who's a wizard, and Evil Lynn, who is a sorceress or, or a witch. And it's really well done, man. It's really, really well done. Furthermore, Pushing that, there's a reveal to Castle Grayskull that I thought was absolutely brilliant. There's also history on the name of Grayskull itself. You see who the warrior Grayskull was, who the castle was named after. So this show not only delivers on that, on, on, on those levels, not only does it touch on things that you didn't know of as a fan growing up, but it does it incredibly well. It updates a lot of certain tones and nuances and cliches that were very 1980s, and it brings it up to speed. You see the transition and the evolution of characters from the first episode to the fifth one, which is the first half. And by the fifth episode... It leaves off in a cliffhanger that you're just kind of 
not necessarily in disbelief because I mean, if it sticks to formula, then we all pretty know what's expected of the show, but it takes turns that you're like, are you serious? Did that really just happen right now? And it goes to show you that the kids that watch this show definitely wanted something different as I did as a little boy and are bringing it to life now as adults, as older men. To say that I was satisfied with the first half of this series is an understatement. Masters of the Universe Revelations, and I think I've sat through it, honestly, like four times. Each episode is anywhere between 24 to 27 minutes, so it goes by like that. But it has heart. It's really well written. My hat's off to Kevin Smith. And, you know, for those that say, oh, well, you know, it sucks because He-Man is in it for like two episodes of the whole thing. Guys, first things first, we're watching something that is incomplete. The first half of two parts. Number one. And don't get me wrong. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just trying to give you a different perspective. Number two, Tila who was one of the most consistent characters of the old TV show, never really had a story of her own. I mean, there is a certain plot point that is very important to her that I think the first episode of the old TV show touched on, but I don't want to say anything because I don't want to give that away. But Tila is an important character and her development, in my honest opinion, is necessary for this show to be successful, for the character of He-Man and Prince Adam to be successful, for Skeletor to be successful. It's a plot point. It's a massive plot point. So for all of those who are disappointed, give it another watch if you're up for it. Or if not, stay tuned for my review of the second half. And I'll let you guys know what I thought overall. You never know. Second half could be disappointing. You know, they could start big and you know end on a on a on a on a dropped note you never know but to say that i am satisfied is an understatement with the first half i thought it was absolutely fantastic everything from the artwork particularly the artwork and the animation the action sequences were fantastic the development of old characters that i haven't seen in years it was all incredibly well done incredibly well done if i had to rate it now i would give it honestly a solid three and a half stars and if the second half is as good as the first in my opinion then i'm going to give it an all-out five because it's honestly that good at least to me guys give it a look let me know what you think if you're uh he-Man fan from back in the day, let me know what you think in terms of comparison. If this is your first ever experience with He-Man, I'd be interested, honestly, to know what you think, what your take on it was. Uh, given that how I just I'm curious to know, like a perspective of a fresh pair of eyes, not knowing who any of these characters are. But I enjoyed it immensely. I hope you guys got a kick out of it as well. Uh, just a quick note in terms of movie news. Um, not sure if you guys are recently read, but apparently Scarlett Johansson is in a legal dispute now with Disney because of the release of Black Widow. Apparently, it's a money issue to where she was not compensated. 
properly because of the release on Disney Plus. And now that's actually having quite a few actors and actresses whose films have been released on streaming platforms are also looking into it as well. So that's kind of interesting. My th- my take is this, it, you know, it kind of soured me a little bit to see that Scarlett Johansson is is suing Disney. But hey, man, if they owe her money, pay up, especially Disney. It's not like they don't have the, the you know, the capital for it. But I think this is going to be, you know, our future. I think that we're going to see a lot less movie houses, you know, um, and a lot of people, as I've said in the past, doing premiere parties in their house, you know, order pizza, you know, have a good time, make make a movie themed party, what have you, because I, for example, Suicide Squad is going to be released in the coming week. I'm going to go see it with my nephews. And that's something that I would want to see on screen because it's an action movie and it's an IMAX. So that's something you want to experience. But smaller scaled films like Judas and the Black Messiah, that's definitely, you know, let's have a movie party at my place kind of deal. I'll bring pizza. You know, we can cook something, whatever the case. Make it fun. Make it entertaining. But if that is the case, then these studios are going to have to kind of renegotiate percentages in terms of what actors and 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 people involved in these projects are, are going to be compensated because it's it's a new day it's a new day man and i'll be honest with you i would if i could go back in time and say well would i see avengers let's say avengers endgame in the theater or would i have a premiere party in my place i would have probably had a party in my apartment seen it with my friends and family and then gone after that to the movie and be like now let's go experience on the big screen it's a whole new dynamic. It's a whole new world. So let's see what happens. I, I hope they come to an understanding, um, particularly because I love Scarlett Johansson. I, I love what she did with the character. Uh, in my previous review, you know, I, I feel that Black Widow was definitely, uh, at least in the cinematic universe, a founding, you know, father, quote unquote, of that team. And who's to say that she may not come back in flashbacks later on down the road in in these films. These films are going to go on forever. I don't think you want to burn that bridge. So I hope it could be done amicably. I hope she's properly compensated. And I hope that it doesn't, you know, sully her relationship with the character. I thought she did great. You know, yeah, could she be recasted? Of course. Look at Don Cheadle and Terrence Howard with, uh, with Rhodey and War Machine. But... You know, in a perfect world, this this thing will work itself out and we'll go from there. Uh, a lot of photographs have been released for Flashpoint. Today they just re- released a picture of uh, the main character, oh, the main actor whose name escapes me, the young man who was the Flash in uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. They just revealed a picture of him as a Flash. Uh, not so long ago, they released a picture of Michael Keaton as an older Bruce Wayne. He looks fantastic. The The new young uh, actress who's going to play this version of Supergirl. And they've recently released a picture of Batman on what looks like a motorcycle similar to what Tim Nolan's Batman had. That, that Tumblr bike, uh, the Batpod, I believe it was called. But this one looks like something on steroids. It looks massive. And you see the stunt guy dressed in, you know, the um, 
Ben Affleck Batman outfit. So it looked very cool. That's well uh, on its way into uh, production at this point. So very, very excited to see that. Ant-Man and the Wasp into the Quantum Realm, I believe the film is called. That has started filming. Um, And pretty soon, guys. Pretty soon. Oh, also, a trailer has dropped for Venom, uh, Let There Be Carnage. I thought this trailer was better. I'm still not overtly excited about this film. It's something I'll probably definitely watch on HBO Max if it goes that route. But for all intents and purposes, you know, eh, it's there. I still wish they would have done Venom properly, or at least in according to what his historical comic book character was like. But Woody Harrelson looks great. Uh, for him to play uh, Cletus Cassidy, I believe is uh, Carnage's alter ego. That pick was fantastic. So it looks interesting, looks fun. But keep an eye out, guys, because I'm under the impression very soon, very, very, very soon, we will be seeing a trailer or a teaser for Spider-Man No Way Home. And that's the one I'm looking forward to. So if I get any information on that, I will definitely be posting it up on my Instagram handle. I'm also going to be posting up a quick review uh, for the complete part one and two Batman, the long Halloween animated film. Just to give you the short version. Outstanding. I was incredibly pleased with what they did. And again, one of the most beautiful animated films uh, DC has put out. It really, really was a beautiful film from one of the best Batman graphic novels I've ever read. So I'll be posting that on my Instagram handle. So give that a look as well. In the meantime, guys, that is my time. Uh, Keep an eye out for my review uh, for part two of Masters of the Universe Revelations, which I believe is scheduled to air in either mid-September or early October. So once I see that to completion, I'll give my full review there. And in the meantime, guys... (sighs) Unfortunately, we're, you know, kind of coming back into a situation with uh, COVID where there is now the Delta variant. And, you know, those who are unvaccinated are are getting sick. You know, guys, again, I, I say this in every episode and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. You know, we at some point we have to get beyond this. We cannot let this be the new normal. So please be careful out there, you know. Where you feel comfortable, fine. Where you don't, wash your hand, wear your mask, and take care of yourself and each other. I'll see you soon for the next episode of Heroes Retreat with Noel Cruz. As always, guys, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. I hope you enjoyed this show, and I will see you then. Take care. Bye-bye.